I was um, asked to for scripture, schedule for scripture. I'm going to make one comment. Uh, looking at the bulletin this morning, I was encouraged just to see that from the Old Testament, from the book of Job, I know my Redeemer lives. Praise God, Christ is risen. Christ is alive today and sitting on the right hand of the Father. He's not in the tomb. Today should be, I'll tell you, this is probably, you can consider this not fact, and you can consider this just a, my opinion. Today should be the greatest day in the life of every Christian, because Christ lives. What happened at the cross on the previous weekend, the Friday, Christ died for our sin. He went to this cross to take our sin upon himself, one who knew no sin. And then he was put in the tomb. And if it had ended there, it would have been different. But it did not end there. What happened on that Sunday morning? Christ arose. And that should be it. the only thing that other thing that be close in our life is the birth of Christ. But hey, the two are intertwined. We can't separate the two. They were never meant to be separated from the time immemorial. Christ's birth, Christ's life, Christ's death, Christ's resurrection. Praise God. Christ is risen. Now, to do what I was told to do, I was only told to do two verses, so get and kill it. <laughs> Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove that which is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let us pray. Lord, we just thank thee for your word this morning. We thank thee for the folks that are here. We thank thee that for fellow brothers and sisters who are here, who know Christ, Lord, who pray for us, and we pray for them. Lord, we support one another. And we, this is a very telling scripture here that, uh, for today, that we present our bodies a living sacrifice. We owe everything to you, God. Lord, we owe everything to you. And this is totally a voluntary thing, and it should be something that we should not hesitate to present ourselves to you, a living sacrifice to do your will, to be used by you, to whatever you would have for us, Lord. So, Lord, we just pray that you would, this would be a great day as we uh, hear both the uh, 
the message that you've given us, the pastor, and Lord, as we leave from here this day, that we can go. We have that lighthouse. I saw this morning that my wife was showing me uh, it's a magazine called Lighthouse Digest, and they had a testimony of how the, the cross and the lighthouse have a affinity for each other. Lord, that lighthouse is us. And Lord, we just pray that we are used used by you. And Lord, we just pray that you be with the pastor this morning and give him those words and that to come out and share with us that which you've given unto him. Lord, that which you have us to know. And may the Holy Spirit open up our hearts to hear exactly what you want us to hear. Lord, that we don't shut anything out. Lord, that our hearts are open to the workings of the Holy Spirit for each one of us to grow this day. Lord, we'll just be, we'll just give you the praise and the honor and the thankfulness, Lord, that we can be here as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ this day to hear your word open and preach to it. And we just give you the thanks and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Howard. Three things before I forget. Um, we had an Easter breakfast this morning for a few minutes, and there is plenty of fresh fruit that is available to take home. If you don't take it home, um, Birch is going to be eating it all week. Um, cantaloupe and, and honeydew melon and apples and oranges and bananas. And so there's even some saran wrap over there, and you can grab some and take some home. Second thing is um, Tim has printed off some applications for the Citizens um, Police uh, Academy is. Am I getting that title right? It sounds so official here. Um, and they are on that table over there. If you're interested. And the third thing is, be in prayer for Brother Howard. He will go in Thursday to have a. a excuse me. Wednesday. Excuse me. He will go in Wednesday to have some uh, a biopsy taken. There's some things going on with his kidney that I want to look at. Here, so be in prayer for for that. Did I convey that correctly? Okay. So be in prayer for Brother Howard here. He's been in a lot of pain lately. Didn't even know if he'd be able to make it out here this morning. God gave him grace to do that. And so be in prayer for for Mr. Wiley here. Well, uh, many ships have sailed against the rock of the resurrection to assault it. And every one of those ships has crashed. The sentries have gone by. The rock of Gibraltar, the resurrection, is still there. Um, it has uh, it stood historically, and the remains of the ships are scattered in the sea. And this is the day that we remind ourselves that Jesus Christ is not only risen from the dead, but Jesus' people are his resurrection people as well. And so to do that, we're going to look at Romans 12, 1 and 2 this morning, just those two verses. Um, and we're going to see uh, a basis of commitment here to the Lord. Now, if you're not a follower of Christ, it's okay. We're glad you're here. But I want you to know that what you're going to hopefully be able to see here is a little window and how the resurrection affects those Christians and believers that you know. Now, the truth be told, not every believer lives this out perfectly. And some have some repentance to do in light of this here. 
But this is how God intends the believer's lives to be. And so you're, you're, you're kind of going to have a little window in how the resurrection affects um, uh, your Christian friends here this morning. And Christians and believers who are here this morning, um, this is the truth that is to power us every single day. Romans 12, 1 and 2, it's up on the screen, and he starts off here with the basis of commitment in that first part of the verse. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. The basis. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. He says, therefore, and he's writing this because as a church, we've walked through Romans 1 through 11 together. We finished up chapter 11 last week. And it's written to some house churches of the Roman Empire in the capital city of that empire who weren't aligning themselves with Jesus as they should be. And there were Jews and Gentiles that are in this church here who believe in Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, who was buried and resurrected as a saving king. And yet they were not getting along with each other. And so he reminds them of the good news of Jesus. And he's reminding them, if you really understand how the resurrected Jesus living in you, here's what that means. You must be a living sacrifice. Sounds like a paradox, isn't it? It's really weird. Isn't it? Living sacrifice. And so he says, I urge you, I beg of you, therefore, brethren. And then he says, by the mercies of God, or in view of God's mercies. And here's the thing about the Christian life. God doesn't say, come and work really hard and earn my favor and forgiveness, and then I'll let you in. He says, I've done that for you. I've extended mercy to you. On the basis of someone who stood in your place, Jesus Christ, your representative, and now live out of that. Live out of that. You're forgiven. So in view of God's mercies, we don't come to God to earn his favor. Jesus Christ is our, is our substitute, our, repre, our representative, and he's alive. And those who are Christians are not the walking dead anymore. God has done something in their hearts, in their minds. He's awakened them. They're alive, too. And here's what Paul means by the mercies of God in these preceding chapters, chapters 1 through 11 of Romans. He's laid out here that Jesus is the saving king. He's, God is the loving ruler of the world. He made the world and he made us rulers of the world under him. God's supreme. God always does what is best and what is good. He's the kind of king you would like to be ruled by. And like the potter with his clay, God fashioned the world and he made it and he owns it. And he owns us. And he created people who are something like himself. There were aspects of human beings, the Bible says, were made in his image. There's something we reflect about God. And he made them and put them in charge of his world to rule it, to care for it, to be responsible for it. To enjoy its beauty and goodness and to, and to worship the Lord. And it kind of sounds kind of idealistic. Doesn't it? Ideal. God, people, and right relationship with Him, and things right with the world. But when we look at the world around us, you'd be blind to say something's not right with this world. There's something obviously not right with us, or the world. But why is that? And Scripture tells us about our origins, why it is wrong. And here's the problem, because we all reject the ruler. We, we try to run life our own way without him. And what happens is, that doesn't end very well. We fail to rule ourselves or society or the world. We reject the God by doing things our own way. We rebel 
against God in either blatant or more subversive ways. Lots of different ways. And however we do it, however it expresses itself, the truth is the Bible says we're all rebels. And we try to run things our own way without God. And that rebellious, self-sufficient attitude, saying I don't need God, make it myself here, is what the Bible calls sin. And the problem is, it starts to unravel. Life starts to unravel. In our society, in our world, as individuals, and the whole world has been a people doing what suits them. Competing with each other. The result is misery. See some results of suffering and justice. And we made a terrible mess of things. So the question is, what's God going to do about it? And the answer is, God can't just let it go because God loves what he created and he has to protect it. So God's punishment for rebellion is, is death and judgment. God cares enough about our humanity to take this seriously. And he calls us to account for our actions, just like you would for your own children here. Because it matters to him that we treat him and other people so poorly. He won't let this go on forever. And God passed the sentence on us. Here, because and, he get, and really, what he's doing is he's entirely just because he gives us what we ask for. He says, uh, we say to God, go away, leave me alone, I don't need you, or I want you to do what I want you to do, not the way what you say. And that's what God does. He withdraws his grace, his kindness. His, his, he, he, he gives what rebels want, cut themselves off from him permanently and forever. But that's not a good thing. Because God's the source of all good and all life. And being cut off from Him means death and hell. God's judgment against rebels is an everlasting, godless destruction, eternal destruction. And that's really bad news. Because we're all, the Bible says, born into that. But that's not it. And here's the good news. But because of his great love, that's unfathomable, because of his mercies, God has sent his Son into the world, the eternal Son of God, who became the man, Jesus Christ, who from infancy to adulthood always lived under God's rule. Yet by dying in our place through the hands of the Roman executioners, he took our punishment and he provides forgiveness through that act in history. So God didn't leave us to suffer the consequences of our rebellion. He did something to save us. He sent his own divine son into our world to become a man, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus put himself under this subjection and consequences. And Jesus died as the innocent one, unjustly, on the cross. He allowed himself to be executed on a Roman cross. And the Bible rings with this news. He did that as a substitute for rebels like you and I, in our place. He took the full force of what our sin deserved. So to provide forgiveness and pardon in our place to us. And this is quite undeserved. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. This is what God has offered. Terms of peace. Mercy. Because God accepted Jesus' death as payment and full for our sins. And he raised them from the dead. Not typologically or spiritually or, yeah, it's a nice thing. Jesus was lying on a cold stone slab in the tomb, dead, executed by professional executioners. And three days later, on Sunday at dawn, he came out of that tomb. 
on this planet. The risen Jesus now shows us what God always intended, what God always meant humanity to be. And the Bible tells us that because he was resurrected that day, that shows us that he will do what he also um, says he will do one day again. He will return again and call us, all of us, to account. But in the meantime, here's the mercies of God. Jesus offers us new life. A way to be truly human again. With God living in us. Both now and eternally. Now through the substitute of Jesus, our sins can be forgiven through Jesus' death. He gives us a fresh start with God. We are not rebels, but friends And in this new life, God himself, when we receive Jesus, himself comes to live within us by his spirit. And when Jesus returns one day, as he promises he will, those who place themselves by receiving this gift are acceptable and friends with God. Not because it's anything we've earned, but because he's died and risen in our place. So that leaves us with a really only choice of two ways to live. The Bible, the the world tries to divide us up into all kinds of people, uh, classes, uh, colors, you name it, right? The Bible says there's really only two kinds of people. Those who've received Jesus as king and those who haven't. And Jesus' arms are wide open to those who haven't. And he is calling all to come to him. And so there's really two ways to live. To reject God and to run life our own way. And the result is there's a condemnation. There's a, there's a death and judgment, and there's the own, the, our own consequences uh, to that, even in this life. Or there's God's new way. Come to Jesus. Rely on Jesus' death and resurrection. Receive forgiveness by God. Relationship, eternal life that continues on, drawing from the source of God is life and goodness forever. We can try to run our lives our own way without Him. But the Bible says very clearly that ends 10 out of 10 times in destruction. God gives us what we ask for and deserve. A prospect of an eternity or separation from Him and His goodness for all eternity. Without life or love or relationship. But when you come to the place where you realize your life without God is hopeless, and you've really pondered that, there's a lifeline. Because we turn to God and we appeal to Jesus on the basis of his mercy, trusting in what he's accomplished. The Bible says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life because God's wrath remains on them, abides on them. But those who come to Jesus, he wipes their slate clean. He looks at this as though we were never rebels, as though we were always in right relationship. He has accepted Jesus' death as payment for our sins. He's fully and freely, completely forgiven us and taken away the guilt and shame that we carry on us with how we've treated others and how we've treated God. And he pours out his very life and his spirit into our hearts and gives us a new life that stretches past death into forever. And we're no longer rebels and orphans, but we're part of God's new family. Adopted sons and daughters. With Jesus as our older brother, our king, Two very different ways to live. And so Paul's writing this passage to people who say, I've received that. I've received that. And he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by these mercies of God, everything I just shared with you, what God has done, by the mercies, because of the transforming power of mercy, 
Because of receiving God's love and grace that I don't deserve, there is now a power for new life that comes from God. The power for what comes to live for God comes from a resurrected Christ. The power doesn't come from you. And so that's the basis of this commitment here. And I beg of you, those of you who haven't come to Jesus yet, He has offered this gift to you in the time that's remaining in this world. And He calls you to turn and trust Him. To give your allegiance to Jesus alone. And for those of you who have done that, here's what he explains what this means here in verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. The word living there, uh, or the word sacrifice there is the, is the word a killing, a living killing. Everybody in that day and age would know what an animal sacrifice was in Greek and Roman times in the temples. They were bloody. For the Israelites, the Jewish people in the Old Testament, they atoned for sin for Israel. For the Greek and Roman pagans, they were appeasing the gods, a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice. I thought they would earn their favor, and then it was over. And Paul says, what you need to do here is you need to be a sacrifice. What is a sacrifice? Well, sacrifice, what he's saying here is you are putting to death the right to live as you choose, and you give it to God through Jesus. Giving your life to God through Jesus. You're putting to death the right to live life as you choose and saying, God, I'm going to be yours through the work of Jesus. Now, what does he mean by this? Well, in our journey through Romans, this letter here, we saw in chapter 6 that this means that when Christ died and Christ was raised, that those who are relying on that relationship with God as the one way to have a relationship with God in new life. The Bible says God looks as you, at you in your old life the way you wanted to be, the way you wanted to, to, to rebel. And he says that died too with Jesus. That was nailed to the cross too with Jesus. In your new life, when Jesus rose from the grave, the Bible tells us that God gives you that resurrection power now. It's like God gave you a new life and you're alive with Jesus too. And so when he says you're a living sacrifice, that idea of sacrifice or killing is this, that those who receive Jesus have died. Their old life is gone. It's dead. Never. Never to return. And their new life, where God sees them now, as a life that lives for Jesus and God's glory and His honor. To fully love God and to love their neighbor. The dead to old life is gone. Raised to new life, to new creations. Believers whose sinful nature has been crucified and been replaced by the presence of God Himself, the Spirit, living in you. It's resurrection power breaking into a decaying world. Your new life in Christ is a foretaste of what the new creation will be, believers. It's a taste of what life in God is like to a world that is under condemnation, that rebels, that doesn't want the mercy that God offers. Here. And resurrection power breaking into a decaying world. Here's what it looks like. You're saying, I present myself as one who is dead to the old life and now risen with Christ. A living sacrifice. And notice what he says you're to present. <clears throat> Maybe you would have thought, I present my spirit. Present my mind. He says, present your what? Your bodies. 
This physical thing, your bodies. Why? Because your belief affects your entire being. Your body is your expression of what you believe. Your thoughts and your feelings can do nothing except through your bodies. And what he's saying is every part of your life, inner and outer, you are to think out Jesus' purpose for your life and has control over it in every area. See, instead of offering animals and grains to the gods and local shrines and temples or in the temple in Jerusalem, Christian sacrifice is the embodiment of Christ. It's an embodied way of life offered to an invisible but ever-present God. What we do is our sacrifice to God. Present our bodies. When we speak, when we listen, when we embrace, when we eat, when we drink, when we love, in proper sexual relations, when we guide children, when we offer wisdom, when we work, when we garden, when we repair taxes, when we offer visible expressions of care and respect, the things we approve and disapprove, when we pray, when we participate in fellowship, worship, and instruction. We're doing this with our bodies. And we're doing it with the embodiment of Jesus here. What kind of presentation? Present your bodies a living sacrifice. He says, holy, acceptable to God. Some of us can hear that word holy and we think of um, um, bad experiences and a kind of a stiffness here. But the idea of holiness in the scriptures is you are liberated to love God fully and love your neighbor as yourself. That's holiness. Because that's how God is. You have the holy presence of God. You have surrendered to embody loving God and neighbor in service instead of serving yourself. That was what was wrong with the Roman church. He's going to explain what that looked like in their relationships pretty soon. Holy, acceptable to God. Because your life is united with Christ. And Christ is holy and acceptable to God. And then he says, which is your reasonable service. That word reasonable there is the idea of logical. This, can, this, this is the outcome. This is the only logical, rational. This only makes sense. In light of God's mercies, this makes sense, resurrection life. That you now have a Christ-formed life. A Christ-shaped, embodied, daily life is your service, your worship. The word for worship there is latria. And it can, sometimes you think of worship and you think of singing or you think of you know, coming together as a church. And the idea here of worship here is it's service to God. Monday through Sunday. Every day. Every moment. You know what's true about all of us, whether you're in Jesus or not, is everybody serves somebody. Everybody's got a master or something. But I want you to tell I want to tell you this morning that Jesus is the only rightful one. And whatever you lean on or trust in or live for, unless it's the God of the Bible, will eventually poison you. He can't hold you up. But Jesus can't. So there's the act of commitment there. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, which is a reasonable service. But thirdly, I want you to notice this means of commitment. The means of commitment in verse 2. He says, And do not be conformed to this world, 
Oh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So now he's connecting to the inner. The outer of the body, now the inner. So it's all of you here. And what he's saying is this. When you come to Jesus, your allegiances have changed. Your supremes have changed. Your allegiance of influence has changed. What used to influence you and, and guide you and direct you, what you live for, an unredeemed world that's in alliance with the earthly and unseen powers that are in rebellion to the world's true king. You're not to be conformed by that anymore. You're bigger than that because you're in Christ. There's been a revolution that's happened. This world has a lot of things that they want to tell you you need to be ruled by. Some of the biggest ones are sex, money, and power, right? Sex with whoever, however, whenever. Power, influence, and fame. Money, and possessions, materialism. What are you ruled by? If the answer to those things is, yeah, that's what I'm ruled by, then that leads to decay. It's got to be bigger than that. Jesus frees us from this. There's also some stories out there in the world that say this is how you need to run your life. Individualism, the story that I'm the center of the universe, right? Consumerism. Can't watch a show without commercials, right? The story that I am what I own in my possessions. Moral relativism, the story we can't know what's absolutely and universally good. Let's make it up as we go. Scientific naturalism, the story that all that matters is matter. New Age, the story that we are all gods. In the sense that what I say and what my kingdom is matters more than anything else. Or postmodern tribalism, whatever my group or my crowd's thinking, that's what is going to govern me. Or a salvation by therapy. I can come to my full human potential through my inner exploration. And the scripture says, no. The problem is we're all rebels against God and His way is the true way. He made us. He knows what He's talking about. He's omniscient. He's wise. He's all-powerful. We've got to repent as a rebel against God. We've got to turn and trust the good news of King Jesus. He's the bearer of good news for our hearts. And Christ had a victory over the demonic powers. And we can only come to Jesus by doing things His way, coming to Him, things, to him in His way. If you try to do it our way, we'll be back in this rule of sin and death. The only way of victory is through the cross and resurrection of Christ. And all those worldviews that I shared with you, all those stories here, are all essentially the same. Be this way or think this way, and your lifestyle will be limitless, right? It's a lie. All that's a lie. Some of you live long enough to see that, right? You tried that. You went down that route. Went down that path. None of these things give life. The sign of sin and death lies across them all. It might be hidden and under nice packaging and bows and ribbons, but when you open it, you realize it's pretty empty. But there's news today. And I'm among you. And this room's full of us here as a fellow prisoner who has... Received news of release. The first man, Adam, that represented us, Adam, is strong. And what he passed on to us, at least the death and destruction and curse, is strong. But the second man who stood in his place is stronger still. 
There it is. Jesus died with us and instead of us and for us. And the same God who raised Jesus from the dead and that resurrection unleashes the power of the stronger man to those who will by faith receive Jesus. That stronger man brings victory through his death and resurrection. Jesus' royal birth secured his claim to the throne promised to King David in the Old Testament. His miracles on this earth pointed to the presence of a ruling kingdom and the person of Messiah. His teaching was an invitation, a bell that pealed out here of the kingdom and he laid down his demands that come to him. His sacrificial death atoned for the sins of you and I who would have otherwise been condemned when he returns. And his resurrection, we celebrate today, establishes him as the Son of God, whom God has appointed judge of the world and Lord of his coming kingdom. And the judge of all the earth summons every single human being in this world to turn and believe the good news of King Jesus. Confess him as the saving king. And then to express what's gone in the heart here with an outward expression here of baptism. To identify with Jesus through the water, buried with him with his death, old man gone. Raised to new life, live in his power. And so his invitation is always this. Will you obey God's command of mercy at this time? And turn and give your surrender and allegiance to this saving king. Notice what he says here. Do not be conformed to this world, but instead, what? Here's what new life looks like. There's a transformation of that word, but be transformed. But be transformed is the word for metamorphosis. You can think of creatures that metamorphosize, right? Like the butterfly, usually the typical one. Fat, squishy, little, airy caterpillar, butterfly. Or in our area of Maine, brown tail moth. <laughs> But that ruins my illustration, right? <laughs> Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That idea of renewing of your mind is a new heart. God's given you a new heart, and now we're to have that continually renewed. We're to, we're, it's the beginning change of mind or thinking, because we now have a new allegiance to Messiah, to love God and neighbor. And we now, because of what Jesus has done for us, we do the will of God here. We have made a break with this present age that is weighted with a heavy anchor in the seas of life, the drowns. And we have aligned ourselves with Jesus in the age to come. So, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that is the act of commitment here. For the believer. They're the one in Jesus. So what's the result of it? The result of it is this. This last phrase. That you may prove. You may come to show. And demonstrate. What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And there's a step of faith, isn't it? You've got to say what God has said in his word. And how he's designed the world to be. Is what is actually good. That you may prove. That you may come to realize what God has already always designed and, and wanted you to be in God. That salvation turns and it transforms lives away from emptiness to what lasts for eternity. 
Because the gospel, the good news of the Son of God, He came as man, He lived purely, He did only good for others. He died innocently for our evil rebellion. He rose again to live as the enthroned King in the hearts of those who receive Him as their Savior. One day, just as He was resurrected, He's going to come to judge the world in everlasting punishment. Those who are still going to hold out. And God gives us believers as messengers to say, hey, here's the good news. Here's what Jesus has offered. His mercy. Look at these verses here. It reminds me of an illustration by um, a British pastor in the last century named uh, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones who had a pretty uh, vibrant gospel ministry in England. And he talks about the time where he had a, he was taking his little dog on a leash to take a walk in the park. And that dog was always straining, always wanted to get away. I mean, he was pulling hard at the leash. And then one day, Jones said, I'm just going to let him go, see what happens. So he unclipped the leash, and that dog bolted off like a rat. And Jones kept walking down the path in the park. And he was relieved when ten minutes later that little dog came bounding back. Who knows what that dog saw or what had happened. Um, But he came running back. And this time he stayed by the master's side. He stayed by Jones' side and he ran by him uh, along his side as Jones walked. And here's what that dog was doing. In its own simple way, the dog was offering himself. He wanted to be with the master. It had moved from he had to be with the master on a leash and he was straining to get away. That's kind of how we are in our natural state. To he wanted to be with his master. He walked alongside, he didn't need the leash. He took his hands off his life and he put it in his master's hands, so to speak. Here's the truth about Jesus. Jesus never needed that leash. Jesus took his hands off his own life from the very beginning when he came as a human. And because he did that, we can take our hands off our lives and give them to the Lord. Listen, when you get the mercy of God to you, the only rational thing, you really understand how merciful he's been. How you've been breathing the king's air eating the king's food, living on the king's planet. The only rational thing is to run to the saving king who gave his own life for you on the Roman cross for your sin and is alive from the tomb and reigning. But take your hands off your life and fall into the good hands of Jesus. Every other master will destroy you. If you're living for the next race, pretty miserable way to live. If you're living for the next relationship, it's a pretty empty way to live. Human beings let us down pretty quick. Whatever it is, if it's not the eternal God who's the source of all life and goodness, it will never satisfy. And so this morning, I wonder his heads are bowed and eyes are closed here as we finish
I wonder if there's someone here who needs to say, you know what, I've never received Jesus as my saving king and my substitute. And today's the day where I'm turning to him. I'm taking my hands off my life and I'm falling into the good hands of Jesus. Because he's proved his love through his death and resurrection. And today, I'm receiving Jesus in new life. And I wonder if there's anybody here this morning that would just lift your hand and indicate that. So I know how to pray for you and know how to follow up and explain more about what this means. And then believers who are here this morning. You've indicated that Jesus has saved you and he has given you new life. Friends, these words in scripture tell you what it means now to follow him. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Every other thing that you try to turn to, you have the Holy Spirit in you, you're not going to be happy. You can't be satisfied with that. It's going to, it's going to ruin you. And Jesus calls you to keep following Him. To keep coming. To keep presenting your body as a living sacrifice. To walk in His ways. And He tells us, in the end, it's going to all be worth it. And perhaps there's some things in your mind and life that the Holy Spirit said, you know what, you're not presenting your body. You're not surrendering to me. Here's what you think is important. Here's what you're living for. And you need to do business with the Lord. I'm going to give you a, some time here to reflect and think of that. Here, if I can have our pianist come and begin to play. If there's anyone here again who doesn't know the Lord Jesus, doesn't have a personal relationship with them based on what the Word of God says, and you want to have more discussion about that or find out more that it means, please seek me out. Or many of these other people in this room here who can tell how they found new life in Jesus. And God has been gracious and merciful to them. Lord, you have provided so much for us. And so often we're like that dog straining at the leash here. We think there's always a better way around the corner. We've gone there, tried there, done that, and it seems like we're hard learners. And Lord, I pray that you would help each of us, whether they're lost or the believers here in this room, to take our hands off our life. And that by faith, come into the good hands of Jesus. Either to grow as his child in obedience. Lord, to come to Jesus and finally, first of time. Thank you, Lord, that you receive all who come to you. You are strong and kind and you will not cast out any who come to him. Your mercy is so deep. Your power is so great. The cross is so sufficient. The resurrection was so complete that all who believe in you never perish. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing as well. He is risen. He is risen.
there's a long history of songs and uh, phrases that we as Christians have said, and then we, we have a call and we have a response. And this morning we're going to sing, Is He Worthy? And it's a call and response song. Uh, stand with me. I'm going to have the, the teens uh, and a number of us went out caroling on Easter, uh, for Wednesday night. Um, Easter caroling. We went to a number of homes and uh, were able to sing songs. And this was one of the songs that we sang. This is a call and response song. So the, the teens and I are going to sing the question during the verse. And then the congregation, you respond using the words that are in the, the parentheses. And then when we get to the chorus, let's all sing together. Thank you. 
fruit if you want to take some fruit home. Uh, Citizens uh, Police Academy there, uh, uh, not resumes, um, applications there are on the table. Um, and then be in prayer for our, our brother here as he goes in this, into some uh, surgery this week for a biopsy. Um, let's be in prayer for him. Let's pray and then we'll um, start up Sunday school about 10.30 here. Lord Jesus, thank you that through your death and burial and resurrection, you made a new family. Lord, before we were supposed to reflect your glory like mirrors and we each went our own way and it's like that mirror was shattered and distorted and twisted and found uh, ways that really uh, didn't lead to fountains of life. But through Jesus, the fountain of life, we have come and you've given us living water that will never thirst again. And we thank you for that. Lord, continue to do your work um, from the word of God in hearts. Help those who know you and received you to continue being living sacrifices and continue to present themselves and to continue to be renewed in their minds and not conform to the values of this decaying world. Help us to be the breath of life and help us to serve this world here through the power of Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.